Welcome to the Ocean Cruisers podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking to Steve and Judy from the YouTube channel Sailing Fair Isle. Steve and Judy are one-time liverboards from the UK and are now cruising around the Mediterranean on their stunning house Christian 48. Prior to being full-time cruisers, they both worked in journalism, producing news and documentaries on UK television. Their boat is a stunning example of a full-keeled classic. A sturdy, comfortable cruiser and what many sailors would consider the holy grail of blue water cruisers. They have traveled from the UK into the Med and are now in Italy, setting sail soon to continue their travels, where the wind takes them. You can learn more about Steve and Judy's adventures on their YouTube channel, Sailing Fair Isle. If you want to support the production of these podcasts, you can become a member of our community on Patreon. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. What made you decide that you wanted to give up like a very established, successful lifestyle in, in both of your cases and move on to a boat and uh, travel around? The world? <laughs> it's really a change of life, I think, when the, when the kids left home, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I mean, it was it was a life, um, you know, with a family. And then once they start leaving home, you sort of think, well, what are, what are we going to do? And it was quite a responsibility with the house that we had because um, we had a livery yard. So we had 10 acres. We had lots of animals. Oh, wow. um, so you were quite tied to the land in that way. So if we wanted to go off and make films mm. or travel a bit more or all the things that you know we wanted to do once the children had left home it would have been very difficult in that house so then we downsized and I just think we went a bit over the top <laughs> <laughs> right okay well so you downsized but you got a bigger place or you downsized no, 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 to a boat, boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is, it is downsized from a farm okay but so what, yeah. was that something that you like acquired through the family like you you ended up on a farm no no what it was wasn't that? a farm in that way it was um I mean, we had land um because we got three girls uh, I tried to get them into sailing Judy because you can get them onto horses before that they, they can get on a horse before they can walk I can't get them in a boat until they're sort of three or four so Judy won that particular battle and then by the right. time they were all sort of five or six you know going around that sort of age toddlers they were they were massively into horses and every weekend was pony club so that's what you do you go out and you you know play with horses so you know actually boats didn't get a look in at all during you know our life with kids mm. we went off a couple of times and did uh, you know some races in the caribbean and things uh, so invited it out for for those so judy would come along but boats weren't really a thing when we had the family because all the time you're either working or you're doing the, what the kids want to do which was horses i mean yeah, I, sure. I bought a, a little enterprise dinghy thinking okay at least i'll teach them to sail we've got a a reservoir near us pure water um, but at a weekend, I mean, basically, they'd say, well, well Daddy, you want to ride the horses. We don't want to go and sail a boat. And right. the nearest we got was them coming along with a picnic. And I would sail the, the boat across the lake and they would ride the horses around to the other side. We'd have a picnic. <laughs> I'd sail it back and they would ride the horses back. That's about as much as we sort of got. So you were left like carrying the luggage across the reservoir and then <laughs> just having a nice sail on the horse. This is, I think this is a serious reminder to anybody who's about to have kids who like sailing. Don't get the kids into horse riding. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's an up and a downside to that because one of the questions we get asked a lot as well is how do you get your wife, you know, onto a boat? Because Judy, you know, wasn't a sailor. She used to come, but she used to come to the Caribbean, which is lovely. I mean, yeah. I know from, I mean, I, you know, I've been a sailor all my life. So I'd sailed with my father in, you know, on the East Coast of, of England in, in all weathers. 
and and I know that would be the first thing to put Judy and the girls off if I said, okay, we're going to you know go down in, and you know sail from the Orwell to the Demon or something. You know, then they mm. what? You know, you're mad. <laughs> so so you think, well, okay, you know, you haven't been subjected to that. So actually, when it sort of came, oh, we're going to buy a boat and we're going to sail around the world, you know, in the warm places around the tropics, you think, yeah, all right, you know. So it's about it's about the proposition as well. You have to uh, make it sound right. Yeah. So yeah. So like Judy, your experience of sailing before was doing nice charters, stuff in the Caribbean, warm climates. Yes. Well, one or two. I mean, it really was one or two. So really, I hadn't been on boats no, at, on boats at all, and I think I was more ballast on most of the things that we did, rather than learning too much about it. So really, I've learnt to sail on this boat on Fair Isle. Yeah. So this was basically the first the first time I thought oh, well, I'll get Judy in a boat. We was on a, a job in the Caribbean doing a thing on fair trade bananas, and there was a Hobie cat sitting on on the beach. So I thought, mm. okay, well, you know, this this looks nice. It's you know, a lovely day. So so we jump on, and you know, it's going nicely. So we'll get Judy takes the helm, and I'm sort of going through what to do. And then we're doing this for ten minutes or so, and I could see a bit of weather coming in, a bit of a front coming in, and uh, and so oh, just. Ease the sheet a bit. What? What? It's, it's in a jam. Couldn't get it off. So by the time I got round, this this wind had hit us, and we pitch poled. And oh and Jim, my lord! Actually, this is the first time you went sailing. Yeah, first time. That yeah. was pretty much. Oh the my first god! Time, first time I went. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. <laughs> You know, never being on a boat. I mean, obviously, you swim straight back to the boat and you grab the boat. Well, Judy's just sort of floating along, and I get back to the boat and think, where the hell is she? And uh, and she was miles away. And she went for a swim. And then, <laughs> luckily, exactly, yeah. luckily, there's a big, big yacht there, and they launched their rib and they came and got her and brought her back. <laughs> but, it, but it was warm, and I think because you don't know, there was no fear because I hadn't, you know, because I hadn't hadn't had that sort of experience before so I didn't know it was dangerous no. really but now I do now I'd be well worried if that happens <laughs> well yeah if the boat you've got now went sideways it would be a bit different yeah 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 I, I, it's so much easier though like when, when you're in a warm climate the, the concept of I mean the biggest fear about being in a boat is the thing sinks or it tips over and you end up in the water when the water's warm and it's like 10 meters and you can see the bottom that that yeah. entire side of it which is the fear is just pushed on the side it's really existed yeah. Yeah, it's a very different thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cold water sailing. I mean, the water kills you pretty quick. You know, you're going to be in there ten minutes, and then you know mm -hmm. that that's you you done really in in cold waters. So yeah, yeah massive difference. That's that's pretty dramatic. That you went from like one or two experiences of sailing to just living on a boat straight away. Because you, usually there is like a soft transition, or there's like there's a few charter trips, or let's get a smaller boat, then a bigger boat, then a bigger boat. But yeah. was that not just a massive shock? Well, not really, because because I knew it was going to be a completely different change. I was more concerned with whether or not we'd kill each other, you know, by living in such a small space. So my sort of... My sort of... No, Steve's very difficult, that's what you say. <laughs> <laughs> so my leading up to this change was um, the fact that we were working on a, a filming and training job in Kenya and we had to live in a hotel room for a month with all our gear. And so I felt, well, if we can do that, then moving on to a boat like Farrell is frankly a breeze. So that was much more of the that was much more of the concern for me. Um, mm. Also, I knew that Steve was a was a sailor, so to a great extent, I felt that if he's in charge and he can tell me what to do, and I pull on ropes or whatever I have to do to begin with, then then that'll be fine. Um, of course, once we started the sailing channel, 
I realised that he would spend a lot of his time <laughs> editing and I'd be the one doing the sailing. That <laughs> 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 okay. a bit later. Yeah, okay, so you're the captain now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once we got across the Bay of Biscay, I said, okay, you can take it now. It was a bit like, yeah. it was a bit like that. And also, of course, when you are doing the sailing, like going across the Bay of Biscay, um, you know, you, you have to do your fair share. So I did some night watches not as much as Steve, because frankly, I'm not as very good at staying up at night, but you know, it's more that rather than anything else. But you do have to hand over. Um, we have to make sure that Steve does get his sleep. Um, otherwise it's not safe. So yeah, I had to muck in then, but that was a bit of a baptism of fire, I think, wasn't it? We'd not mm -hmm. really, we hadn't really prepared for that um, either. So I, um, I think I just yeah. do things, yeah. I just get in it. And, and do the it. small space <laughs> thing, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a you know, reasonably large boat, but I mean, boats are small. I mean, you know, smaller than any you know, apartment that you're going to have, really. Mm. Um, but we had, it wasn't just, you know, that occasion in Kenya. We don't, we've worked together as well all our lives. So, you know, we've been, mm. you know, all over the world doing things, living in and living out of a suitcase in a room. So that wasn't something that was, you know, difficult for us, really, thinking, well, that's, mm. that's you know, how you live. We could do it. We knew we could do it. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, so Judy, have you, like during the whole, during the experience so far, because you've been living on a boat for a small while, have you developed an interest yet to like go and do some OIA courses or learn navigation or anything like that? Or would you definitely leave that side to Steve and like be there to assist? I don't think I want to do a course. Um, you have done your, you know, your basic. Oh course. yeah, I, oh yeah, that's right. I did. I, I did. I did the competent crew with Emily, yeah. the eldest. Oh daughter. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, she was brilliant, actually. Yeah. She was great and really and really took to it. Um, and I mean, that's a, that's the basic course, I suppose. Um, mm. Would I want to do any more and get a qualification? I don't think so. I, I think I'm happy just to go with the flow. I mean, most people like learn from watching or learn from being sat on the side of someone else anyway. So, makes yeah. Sense. And yeah. one of the things that we do is we film with, you know, a lot of sailors, we film for, you know, GGR, things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, we get to meet some of the world's best sailors and sail with them. And, and so, you know, I learn obviously masses from them, Judy does as well. So, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. learning by osmosis, I think is quite a good way in boats. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, all right, Steve, I take it it was your idea to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie, Judy, being the one who brought this up. You know, it wasn't as people expect to be old. You know, what something you've been wanting to do all your life, and you're coming up to the point where you can sort of semi-retire and and have the time and you know in the place to do it. I mean, it, because you know we had several options. All we knew really is we wanted to do something different. And I said, well, I think either we go sailing or we go and buy a place in the Alps and and ski because skiing mm. either great love. So you know, something like that is what you know the discussions that we were having of what we were doing and, and on the whole Judy doesn't like the cold so we think okay no let's stay up. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. but then the first year we bought uh, a Ferrar we bought her in Amsterdam and we had the first winter in Amsterdam we got iced in so you know it yeah. was probably cold but it's a warm boat so you know we're, we're fine it's snug on here. So what, what made you what made you actually was there a specific thing that happened in your life that because obviously you've you've been you've done sailing as a sport you've been on holidays but that is so different from buying a boat and living on a boat was there something that changed in your mind that made you want to do it no it's not a change like that because i mean i've been, been exposed to it all my life my father lived on a boat for 35 years oh so, okay so it's something that was perfectly normal i think mm. to me um maybe not to judy i don't know <laughs> no, well, well, obviously not. Um, not for me. I, I think, I think I, when we decided to buy a boat to live on, I was 
keen that it was comfortable. <laughs> I'm afraid, you know, that comfort was important. And with Fair Isle, I think we've cracked that. When we're not a speedboat, we're 26 tonnes. Um, that, that was the criteria. And I knew um, I had to have enough cupboards to bring with me <laughs> what I felt I needed. And the rest and the rest we sold um, or gave mm. away. And some of the furniture went to our oldest daughter who just got married, which was quite handy. Um, so that was my that was my criteria. And then it became, wow, and we can travel to all these wonderful places. Mm -hmm. And then we decided to start filming it. So yeah. that was, that, that that was, was kind of the after, order, yeah. really. I mean, we've been on the boat for five years. We've only had yeah. the channel going for three. But, you know, because we, we, mm. we, you know, we, we were still working, we're still making documentaries and training journalists is what, you know, what we, we sort of do as a, um, you know, mainly during the winter now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it's, it was sort of a. I mean, it was it was a quick change to go over, you know, you, you know, as you say, you know, from one that lifestyle to another. Yeah. But you feel like that in real life, I don't think. And I think I think that's the way I work, to be honest. I think I'm either 100 percent committed to this or it's the mm. gear change. And I'm 100 percent committed to something else. Yeah. So. So, yes, we just flicked the switch and went in a different direction. I think it's one of those lifestyles. You've got to be 100 percent into it because it's it's such a change and it's so dramatic and it can be so testing at times as well. Um, you have to be all in or, or you're probably going to struggle yeah but what Judy was saying about you know you you want something that's comfortable is really important if you're going mm. to live on a boat because you know I and I knew that from you know for my part all my experience over the life of, of sailing mostly you know it's going down at weekend to sail on a boat and it's like you're camping you know you've got plastic cups <laughs> and you've you know milk and, and and that's how you live but you, you don't want to live like that so you know we've got proper glasses and you know and we've got you know china plates and things like that and this boat you know you can carry them and it's fine mm. you don't need to feel like you're camping and I think that's really important to you know if you're going to live on a boat to, to live on it properly you know to make that your life you know that's actually a really good point. Like those small touches that you can put around the place that make it feel more like a home rather than like a camper van, which is, you know, what a lot of cruising boats are like. They're a bit fiberglassy and a bit tinny sounding inside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those like small little home type of touches, I suppose, can really make a difference. Yeah. I mean, the inside this wood, it's, it's more like, um, you know, it's, it's like going to a posh club, you know, it's full of teeth inside this <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's no plastic in here. Yeah. You think, well, why do you need that? Well, you do. If, you, if that's what you're looking at every day, um, it is important. And from a practical point of view as well, you know, not just the aesthetics of it. But, you know, I did a thing the other day on one of our things in the morning, condensation, you know, condensation on the boat. It's minus two here at the moment in, in Italy, in Venice, where we are. Um, so... You know, boats can be a real bugger to live on when it's mm, when it's uh, cold. Uh, I mean, steel. My father had a steel boat for many years. They're they're a nightmare. You know, the, yeah, yeah. much insulation you put on this boat. You know, it's it's really thick. You know, and and it's completely lined with teak staving inside. Um, all the cupboards are louvered, so you've got you know airflow through it. Mm. So you don't have those problems. You know, it's it's made. You know, it's a, it's a boat that's made to live on and made to to deal with these sorts of things. And many many boats aren't. So you know, you mm. really got to watch out for that. And think, you know, I'm going to live on this boat. What does that entail? Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to suit basically basically every every set of criteria that is set out for a house. You've got to find it in a boat you know in a house you'd want a house that's well insulated if you get yeah. something that's 200 years old and it's got solid stone walls you know you're going to be freezing in the winter and boiling in the summer yes 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 yeah. and well ventilated as well i mean we've got yeah. a butterfly hatch in here so you know the whole whole coachery opens up as well as opening portholes everywhere most modern yeah. boats now you know they've got lots of light in that they put you know these you know just windows along the side tinted tinted windows but you can't open them they you know 
a lot of them don't have derades anymore either. You know, if you've got to, if it's yeah. raining, you've got to close everything, you need a derade to get some airflow through. And, you know, a lot of boats don't, or they're so tiny, then you might as well not bother. Oh, some of them are crazy. We we were looking at some um, new Benetos um, in, uh, in the marina that we've got here, because we've got a Beneteau dealer. So I'm just showing my wife like a few, like 45 to 50 foot range type of Benetos. And, and uh, the guy who owns it was like, oh, come and look in this new one. And it was, it was August, so it was probably like 35 degrees outside. When we got inside the boat, no kidding, it must have been like 50. It oh, was insane. Was. It was so hot. They hadn't had any windows opened. And I, I turned around, and after like a minute, I was drenched. So I was like, does this come with air conditioning? It was just like, oh, yeah, it's like about 10,000 euros for an air conditioner. So you might want a few here and a few there. I was like, well, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've got tow a generator boat behind you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Air conditioning on boats. I mean, yeah, a lot do do have them. And, and you know, if you're somebody, you've really got to set yourself up for it. You've got to have an onboard jenny if you've got an yeah. onboard. And that's that's not a good thing, I don't think. You know, nowadays, you can mm. get by, you know, with enough solar um, and decent batteries to, to not have to have all that sort of hassle. And we're in the process now, mainly because it's just died our generator. But stripping that out and yeah. changing the way we do things. Yeah. What, what are you doing with that, actually? Because I, I saw that in an episode. So that thing just completely clonked out. So you're going to get bigger panels and more batteries in its place? Yes. I mean, eventually. I mean, I was hoping to get things done this winter, but there's two things involved in that. One, it's very expensive, lithium batteries. And two, it's, mm. it, you know, there, there's a lot of, you can't just, people think you can just plonk them in. Well, you can, you might get away with it, but you, you'll probably be causing yourself problems. And we want to cross oceans. Yeah. We don't want to give ourselves problems. So it's got to be done right. Um, all these sort of battery management systems they have, you've got to have find ways, you know, of, of using them properly so that doesn't kick in. Should be safe enough now. LiPo four batteries are, you know, they're, they're safe. You, you shouldn't be, you know, having fires and things on board, which was, you know, something that was a real problem at the beginning of this sort of technology. But mm. it's still, you know, it's tricky. It's more to it than you think. So I need to, to, to deal with that properly. And, you know, I've got some things coming up actually in episodes. We've got a, a couple of bits of gear. One of them is a, uh, is a little box that's got a, a lithium battery in it and an inverter uh, and solar panels. And it, that's a supplementary thing oh, wow. we have. We can put on deck, we can charge. It'll basically get us, you know, extend our, our time, um, you know, without running the Jenny. I mean, I've already uprated the, the alternator, which is something you must do on a cruising boat. You know, mm. they're, they're just pathetic. They're, you know, the the little, uh, you know, they don't even have external regulators normally, and, and they just don't work. You know, it, properly, they they stop charging far too quickly. So, you know, you've got to to get that side working properly. And I think if you do that and you get enough uh, enough solar, then you know you don't need to have the onboard Jenny unless you need air conditioning. Then you do. <laughs> Yeah, or a hairdryer, or <laughs> all that massive list of things. <laughs> yeah, now that's uh, yeah, that's really that's really interesting. So, I mean, do, with regards to like lithium, have you have you done all the calculations to figure out what you use on a daily basis and how much extra storage of batteries you would need? Yeah, I mean, I know what we use. Um, I, to be honest, I think you can sit down and go through every little bit, every bit of kit, and try and work it out. But it's mm. it, almost impossible to do because you know you know for instance if you try and work out what you you exactly what you're going to take for your auto helm well it depends on on what weather you've got and you yeah know, exactly yeah was on the back quarter then you know with my enormous bloody rudder that it's working really hard now you know it might be mm. eating seven or eight amps other times it might be using one or two um but you know that's another thing i want to do is you know i'll get wind range steering at some stage before we you know you know get to the pacific at least um where you sort of really need that sort of stuff so yeah it's sort of planning ahead knowing what you want you never get it right completely i mean i i didn't get a water maker before we left thinking oh, i won't need it in the med it's something i can put off until you know 
where you get to the Caribbean. Yeah. And then, of course, lockdown happens. And you think, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> and we was at anchor for three months. You know, I think, oh, we could really do with a water maker. <laughs> so, that, that experience that you went through was just, well, because I'm based in Malaga. And um, yeah. we uh, we were talking on Facebook, like we were doing a few back and forwards when when you first got locked down. So I know you, you posted it, I think it was on a couple of the groups or something. Mm. And I, I, I could not get my head around it that, you know, today's society, the, the, the way things are pretty, this is pretty good. You know, people are kind of well taken care of, especially in Europe. And there's you guys stuck just off, the, literally a mile off the coast. Not even that, you're a couple hundred meters off the coast of Spain and you could not get water. I was like, what? <laughs> like, that, is, that is just so crazy. Yeah, in the end, I mean, we, we, we had to force the issue a bit because, you know, we went to the only marina that was deep enough to take us. We were in the Marmonor, it's in the inland sea, and the bridge was closed and wasn't going to open. Didn't open for three months. We thought we'd be two weeks, you know, but... Uh, yeah. We got, okay, we need some water. Um, and we said, look, we need to come in, dog, get water. And they said, no, you're not allowed. So I just got on the VHF and said... We're coming in. We're going to tie up. No one needs to come anywhere near us, mm. uh, and we and we did. And and then, I mean, basically, I felt sorry for them. The guy Marinero comes comes out and said, "Look, you know, sorry, sorry. You know, I was told the Capitan said no one, and mm. he couldn't get him on the phone. He didn't know what to do. Uh, but obviously, you know, you, you can't sort of say to people." you're not going to have any water, you stay out there <laughs> and die. So, yeah. you know, sense prevailed. Um, and, you know, we hope that with some of the things happening now with, with COVID and Brexit and whatever, and the restrictions are there, that sense does prevail at least at sea, because, you know, mm. you get into a situation where people need safe passage and need to go in somewhere and, and might not be allowed to, you know, under the laws. Yeah, I mean, it's not the same as turning someone around at like a land border, you know, where it's like, oh, just go away, you can't come in. There's probably a service station down the road. If, if you just turned up at a country on a boat, that's not an option. <laughs> you need to figure it out or you're going to have to get help somehow. But in the end, because we did have to go and get water and we were bobbing around in the middle of the Marmonor, people were really, really kind. Oh, really good. And yeah. we became a bit of a cool celeb, I think. Mm. I mean, <laughs> all these people waking up in the morning, seeing if the boat was still there bobbing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a, we had a yeah. Facebook group um, that were, we weren't part of it, but someone went, once we went in, showed us that they'd all been discussing yeah. whether we're still there and whether we're completely mad. <laughs> the bobbing boat. <laughs> on a boat. And then one of them said, well, of course they're crazy. Look at their flag. They're English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, but the first time actually we went, we were allowed ashore together because you're allowed one at a time to go and get to the shops. But then yeah, yeah. things eased about two months in and we went together. And there were people on shore that came up and invited us to dinner and all sorts. It was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> they've kind of been watching and waiting yeah. for us to land. Yeah. <laughs> we just saw shore waiting for you. Oh, they've come, they've come. Let's put this in. <laughs> No, that's nice. That's really cool. Um, okay, so just going back a little bit, just a, a bit more about you know uh, your lifestyle before, and then what what got you into uh, the cruising life. Um, you two had incredibly successful careers um, doing something uh, very different, I suppose, from what most people do. You were both journalists, and you worked making documentaries. Um, so, can you just talk a bit about that, like what you actually did before, because that lends itself into the YouTube stuff that you do as well, then. Yeah, well, we were together work-wise before we were married and actually got together in that oh, right, okay. I was Judy's cameraman at, at uh, ITN, where we worked right. doing news uh, for many years. Um, yeah, so I was the reporter, he was the camera operator, um, and we've had to swap 
jobs a little bit with the YouTube channel. That's quite interesting. Quite often I feel <laughs> now and Steve does a bit of reporting. So we're mixing and matching more. But yes, we traveled around the world. So we went to the Kosovo together and that's what Steve was uh, referring to with sleeping in tents and things like that. Back to Africa quite a lot. And also I was Africa correspondent for a while. So when we went back to Africa, we had quite a good base to start training journalists. They mm -hmm. knew us, we knew them. And that's the thing that we've done most recently. And making films for social change as well. That's something that um, is quite important to us. And I hope we can keep that going. One of the ideas or one of the selling points, if you like, from Steve, is that during the winter months where you might have to anchor, we can go off and, and make some films. And up until COVID, that worked quite well. The last film we did last um, January, February of 2020, we'd literally just got back from Gambia and we'd made a film there. Um, so I think to an extent we can continue doing that and it can tie in with the sailing lifestyle. And as you say, with the YouTube channel, it's wonderful because we can explore, we can film the sailing, yeah. but we can explore a little bit on land as well. So I hope we are combining that. And it's, it's an extension basically of, of what we, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's easy for us. I've been a cameraman editor for 35 years. So, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of the, of, the, of the sailing channels that, you know, are dentists or whatever they are in a former life and come mm. and decide to do this. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. You know, so for us, it's it's a lot easier, really, in that way. But it's still very time consuming. Um, I mean, we only put out an episode once once a, a fortnight, but mm -hmm. we want to make them broadcast quality type, you know, uh, episodes. You know, so we 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 do the same for that as we were we're doing pretty much. I mean, it's, it's not quite as easy because there is only the two of us. Um, to, and filming yourself is is quite tricky. I never had to do that in <laughs> 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 real life. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so you know, we we can do. You know the, the episodes. You know we do episodes within every couple of weeks, and then and try and you know do other things as we go as well. And you know there's time to do that. Judy's just completed her PhD in mm. doing the yeah, first. Congratulations, that was really good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I mean you know you get time to do things, but not as much time as you as you think. I mean with the, the channel as well. I mean we've been what sailing now. We left England what three years. I don't think I've read a book, you know, a novel, apart from a technical manual about something. I haven't had time to sit down and read a book, you know, because there is so much to do, mm. um, which is amazing. And, and not everyone, it's not everyone's experience. I mean, there was with Jane and Phil in uh, Cartagena. They gave up after two years because they said, well, they just found it boring. There wasn't enough to do. So actually having the sailing channel is, is good because it's, you know, mm. it's an extension of what we did before. We put journalism into it. We don't just do it as a, you know, this is us, you know, out at sea, we will mm. find interesting people and interesting things because that's what we've always done. So, for instance, in the next episode, we we've just um, yesterday went and interviewed some people on a tugboat here who uh, use it as a rescue boat. They're, they're, they're usually based in Sicily. Oh, interesting. Uh, and they go out off the Libyan border and pick up, and they've got some fantastic footage of, you know, them taking 150 people off a boat, you know, and trying to bring them back to, to Italy and just saving lives. So, mm. you know, you find people like that, just interesting people everywhere. Um, and, you know, we can just sort of do a bit of that, you know, usual journalism type stuff of finding interesting people and reporting it. You know. It is really cool. I mean, you know, the majority of YouTube channels that do sailing or social media um, pages or whatever that are into sailing, is, it is generally people who have, have done sailing, they like it, and then they figure out how to use, you know, like an iPhone camera or, mm. you know, uh, like an iPod camera or something like that. Whereas you guys are actually professional filmmakers and you have just taken your profession to your boat and 
you're basically doing documentaries <laughs> from probably about just yeah. about your lifestyle, but in the yeah. same way in which you've treated your, your career professionally. Yeah, and it's, it really works well because, I mean, the same as your professional career, you're, you're very, we've always felt privileged. You go somewhere, you know, like we went to cover the, thing like the, the, the hand of Hong Kong in 1997. You don't just go there as a tourist and see, mm. you know, the, uh, you know the, the pieces of East of Central. You'll go and you'll, you'll see, you know, you'll be with a, uh, an exec in the penthouse suite in the, you know, in the morning, then in Kowloon with some blue collar workers, then, you know, in someone's Ferrari that they can only do five miles an hour because there's too much traffic in Hong Kong. And you actually get the inside track on, on things. And mm. similar things happen even with this because people see your channel and come and see us. I mean, um, you know, Tommaso, who's a, a gondolier here, he had seen our channel. He'd seen the boat, love the boat. He's got a Halberg Rassi and said, oh, look, I'm, gondolas aren't going to work. Do you want a lesson? Come and have a go. You know, <laughs> like that. I mean, how does that happen? You know, in Venice, a gondolier say, come on, let's just go in the canals and, we'll, you know, you can learn to be a gondolier. Well, great. Mm. You know, really good. And tomorrow we're going to go and see some friends who saw, you know, live just inland. Uh, came and saw us you know they liked the channel so oh, you invited us for Sunday lunch so we're going to go there tomorrow you, you know you really get an inside track doing that and that's all because of the exposure from the from the YouTube channel which is, is great yeah and also I think broadcast is changing um in that people are now watching YouTube more and more and I don't mean just young people I think mm. you know when we first set out we thought we'd have like a few Sunday viewers frankly and everyone else would be watching their vagabonds mm. because young people watch YouTube well, we found that's not the case at all. And yep. um, I'm sure some well, of are... us. How's <laughs> that? So it's all men over 60, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you look at the analytics. So, yes, that's changing. And of course, we can broadcast what we like, you know, within the rules. We don't have to, you know, getting documentaries commissioned can be a complete pain, frankly. Mm. And we don't have to do that now. We've got our own channel. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can do what we want. We do what we want. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is the, the aspect of the, the fact that you do come from broadcasting and, and then you've got into doing this is like really interesting. Um, just like, for, okay, so just looking back on your careers, for example, so you were, uh, Judy, you were a news uh, anchor correspondent, so you basically read the news. Yeah. Um, well, I was a reporter. Is what I reporter, really right, okay. Yeah. I decided to read the news when the children were little because it was a much more sort of nine to five yeah. kind of job. You know, you go in and you read your, we used to read on the, a 24-hour news channel we had with ITN so I'd read for three hours then my colleague would read for three hours and I'd read for another three hours and then we'd go home mm. so that's a regular job whereas before I was a foreign correspondent and you're you know at the mercy of of whatever's happening and in you, the you world fly yeah. three weeks later you're still there yeah. you know and and, and it was and it was a bit like yeah. that so I, I said when I had my first child I'll go on trips but not the kind of the never-ending mm. ones and of course that never works you get mm. to Spain to do something about Spanish fishermen and then something happens in Israel and it's like oh you're you're the closest off you get off you go mm -hmm. and in the end it did get to the point where I never got home and you know or I couldn't say when I'd be home and you can't bring up children like that yeah. and when it's both yeah. of us doing it you know together off doing it then it's mother-in-law you know has to come or whatever look after kids and that's you know, there's a limit to how often that can happen so then I started reading right. the news and now I don't read the news anymore and it's much nicer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so you did so you were a foreign correspondent yeah. Um, before you got into ba basically working in the studio and it was yeah. right and you did that because you wanted to raise kids basically yes exactly yeah. exactly okay. came back. I mean I set up the Africa Bureau for Sky News because mm. um, I was working at ITN and then Sky News happened and they said at the time that they this, were just going to be 1980 yeah so it's a long something. time ago <laughs> right. 
exactly 1990. And that must have been when Sky News just started because it's it relatively yeah, exactly. new. Yeah, yeah. So, I, okay. so I went to them because it's because when you're a girl, people aren't going to send you to war zones, or they didn't in those days. And so that was a bit frustrating. And I, I wasn't necessarily wanting to go to a war zone, but I wanted to travel quite a bit. So mm. I went to Sky and I said, you know, I will get, if you give me a letter to say I'm working from you, for you, I will get a work permit to go to South Africa because you can't just pitch in South Africa and start being a journalist or you couldn't in those days anyway, you had mm. to be, you know, authorised. Yeah. And they said, yeah, okay, that sounds like quite a good deal. They didn't think they would have a very big story in South Africa. And then of course, Nelson Mandela was released and it was, um, it was yeah. all go. <laughs> that was a big deal, yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, we train journalists now and one of the things you say to them is that, yeah, go where the story is. You know, don't mm. sort of sit in, a, in a, a company thinking, okay, I'll, I'll wait and do my 10 years and then they might give me a reporter shift at the weekend. Go where the story is. And if the story happens, you're there, you know, you'll do it. So you have to get out there, get out there and amongst it, you know, to do things, yeah. you know, I think generally, actually. Yeah. And especially with YouTube, I mean, like YouTube has changed journalism so much because there's so many people now who've, who don't watch you know, like BBC or ITV or CNN or whatever, and but they actually go to like a more, uh, you know, like personal news source that's on YouTube or a website yeah. where they stream their own version of the news. Yeah. And it's and it's great because you can do it from home. Um, you know, if you want to go to Africa, for example, you can book a flight, go over there, pick a good story, report on it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's completely changed. It has, yeah. I mean, it's difficult. We could talk for hours about that one because that's a difficult one. The, you know, this all citizen journalism is, you know, yeah. can be tricky, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a good there's a place for it. Yeah. So did you did you decide simultaneously, OK, we want to finish what we're doing with this part of our career, which is like working for news networks, for example, and then go sailing? Or was it like, did you become self-employed, like you were training the journalists and then you thought, OK, now we can go and do this? So how, yeah, how did that work? We had about three years self-employed, I think. Well, okay. Work longer, much longer than that. Yes, um, I, I was I was um, self-employed from the point that um, the children, well, the our eldest was about... Um, 10 or something yeah so I decided no I couldn't be at the beck and call really um but I was but I was reading the news as freelance and I was reporting as a freelance and media training as a as a freelance and Steve was working at the BBC yeah I rejoined the BBC because yeah. that, that's more containable ITN would send you somewhere for you know forever you go there and then you'll go somewhere else and then somewhere else and you know you'd anyway, they pay you a lot of money but they you get you know they get their money's worth the BBC a little mm. bit you know, kind of than that, uh, you know, that family life. I mean, it's a young man's game being somewhere like ITN as a cameraman, you know, really, you couldn't have family life as well, really. So we were three freelance together um, for about three years, and that's when we started traveling a little bit together as the children were older. And in fact, we went to Zambia for a month and came back and the children were in the sixth form, the two youngest, the eldest had left, and every single plate in the whole of the house had been used, and they were just piling up because they just refused to wash up. So rather than wash up, I remember doing that. <laughs> another plate. It was it was quite amazing. <laughs> I mean, I think children can look after themselves in the, in the sixth form. Well, that was good. <laughs> Old enough. Yeah, I, I wasn't the best when I was when I was that age. I, I left a few plates in the sink too often. So, all right. So, like, from moving from your career, because obviously, like, you you were working together, and although like you were based in the UK, I imagine you still had to travel a lot and stuff. How is that compared to having three kids on a boat? Not living on the boat, but three kids elsewhere, meeting up with them, seeing them, doing family holidays. Like, how does that work? It worked really well it's before COVID. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a different question now to what it would have been a year ago. 
Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I can't, we have missed that. There's no two mm. ways about it, not just the family, but friends and extended family. We had, everyone came out to Cartagena um, when we first got there and that was what we wanted it to be like, yeah. frankly. Mm. We would have had them all so, yeah. out here. I mean, Venice. We, we hired, you know, we hired a, a, a villa out there, which is, you know, a room out there, Airbnb, and they all come down. Granny came down, you know, it's, it's great. So you can you can do that if you can travel. Um, <clears throat> it's part of the, part of, <clears throat> excuse me, it's part of the reason we uh, we started in, uh, we wanted to spend a bit of time in the Med mm. until the, the kids are completely settled. Um, you know, we've had one's married now with a child, the other two have left uni and are sort of making their way. But until you know, that they've really sort of settled. It, it's nice to be closer. But of course, COVID now has, has, uh, has stopped that sort of flitting backwards and forwards that, that mm. we would have done. We only just about got back for Christmas this this year. Next year, right. it's better and they'll all come down. We'll be in Turkey, it'll be warm. You know, they can all come down for Christmas. So, you know, it's nice. And I mean, when you think about it in normal life, you think, well, do you want to buy a house that's sort of around the corner so you're there all the time? Well, it's really it's unfeasible anyway with three kids, all in different places. Yeah. You know, all, and, and, you know, who knows where they'll end up? I mean, several of them are thinking of going abroad for, for jobs anyway, so they might end up anywhere. So while that's happening, um, there's no point in us saying we're going to buy a house here so that you're going to be close. It's just, you know, you might be close to one if you're lucky and then they might move. Who knows? Yeah. So actually, when you're mobile like this, there's, you know, you, you're sort of used to that. You used to being out and when you can get on a plane, you know, it was great, but obviously not not at the moment. And that was one of the advantages for me as well. I think I was more um, tied to going home more often. And I, and I would do that and leave Steve on the boat when we were in Amsterdam, for instance. Mm. Um, and, and again, that was a lifestyle thing that we could do until COVID. So mm. once this is over, I think we'll have to reassess um, and get that up and going again. But, but yeah, that's part of the advantage because with a boat, you can just lock it and go. I mean, better, mm. better than a house in many ways. Yeah. And so yeah, some yeah. of our other work comes off. Um, we can we can do that as well. I mean, with the with the PhD I've got, I I don't want to just have a PhD. I did that for a reason, which is I, I needed um, research evidence that the films we were making in terms of social change worked. So it would be a bit of a shame if we couldn't go and make some more. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it seems they've done a PhD for it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think on the flip side of that as well, it's like when when you, when you have families and they live so close together, they end up in a relationship where it's just more about what have you done today, what do you want for tea. Do you want to come around for dinner? Whereas in, in your situation, when you actually spend time with your kids, it will be like really valued, appreciated, relaxed, nice yeah. quality family time. It is. And you, you will be in a good out, environment. You don't miss out on the day-to-day -day either because you've yeah. got, you know, you've got Skype, you've got, you know, they FaceTime all the time. So we, we speak yeah. to them most days. Um, so, you, you know, you, you're sort of up with, with what's going on. It's not like you're, I mean, my, my, my father, you know, when he lived on a boat when I was, I don't know, 20 something, um, and he, you know, he was around the world. I, I used to write letters, obviously, you know, it was before the internet then. So, mm. you know, you get a letter once every couple of months, that was it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah suppose from like the lifestyle you were used to, and especially now, because you've uh, obviously like during the 80s, you traveled and you worked, like the technology that you've got now, uh, your family are literally always uh, touch away. You know, you can have a conversation with them face to face, and it's, it's yeah. such a massive change. Yeah, and it's changed the the face of sailing as well. I mean, obviously, this what what's happening now, this phenomenon, and you know, getting guys on sailing channels that have never been on a boat before that go out and and you know get out and do it. Um, that couldn't happen before because you know without the navigation aids that we've got now, you couldn't do that. It would be far too dangerous. Yeah. Um, but but now you can. You know, and if you've, I think if you 
uh, I mean, a lot of people are snooty about it, you know, old time sailors, oh, you know, they can't be doing this. But in fact, you know, when you look at it, a lot of these sailing channels that only learned to sail a few years ago, well, they've been sailing solidly since, and they've probably got more experience than someone that sailed all their lives at the weekend. So, yeah. you know, you can't be snooty about it. These guys do do it. And if, you, if you've got the right attitude, um, you can't do it, you know. <clears throat> and that's really only really because of the, the technology that's available now. Uh, you know, if you'd had to learn what, you know, what I had to learn when I sailed, you, you know, people just wouldn't do it. And they didn't in those days because it, it's too hard. It takes too long. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it must have changed so much. I mean, I, I remember even, I, I did my first um, RYA course, I think when I was like 16 or something like that. I think I, I, think, I, think I was 16 or 17. And um, the, the instruments that you had to learn how to use then were completely different from what they are now because you didn't have a mobile phone. So you had to learn how to use like a 1990s style Raymarine chart plotter, which are pretty useless in comparison to like what you've got now. Chart plotter. I mean, and I learned it was it was paper charts and the same yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and RDF find, and that's all we had. And you know, yeah. and we had the East Coast with all those mud banks and and fog and all the rest of it. And mm. sometimes, you know, you'd find landfall and you're two miles away from where you think. Now, if you're two meters away from where you think, you think, oh my god, you know. Yeah. <gasps> I'm not quite, that boy's not quite where it says on the chart plot. So, well, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at a chart and thinking, well, oh, God, I thought we'd come out the Blackwater, actually, in the Orwell. Yeah. <laughs> you can miss things by miles. So, very different game. Very different. Do you find, because you've been sailing for such a long uh, long time, is, is it your natural instinct to revert back to uh, the chart and the sextant and the old equipment, or are you now fully bought into the tech? No, you you have to fully buy into it, and, and okay. you know you will get because you know I think we are naturally luddites sailors. You know, old sailors are luddites really in, in the tech, and it's a problem because the tech does move forward, and mm. and it can move forward safely. And you will get people that come out and say, "Oh, it's not safe if you haven't got a paper chart." Yes, it is. You know, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you know, have several forms of you know because they're all completely independent now. We have got you know three or four iPads. You've got phones. You've got the 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 ship system's got two different systems with two different GPSs. I mean, there's, you know, if you got hit by lightning, you know, it might take out the boat, but it's not going to take out all those devices. It's just no. not. So, you know, and if you think, okay, my fallback is, you know, getting a paper chart out. Well, and you only use that, you know, you only used it 20 years ago. By the time you get to do that, you've, you're so rusty. It's dangerous. Yeah. Don't yeah. do it. Just make sure that you've got the right backup for, for the tech that's available now. And the same with everything else. I mean, I do, you know, technical videos on anchoring and things like that. And people say, oh, God, well, you don't need that. You need a shackle. You can't have a thrill. Oh, no, you know, think of the what's happened with the technology. You know, stainless steel, people think stainless steel is 316. Well, it was years ago. Now it's 318, 316 mm. Ti, 316LL. You know, these materials are fantastic, you know, and, and they're not, you know, you can't have this line of, oh, no, you know, it's, it's no good. It'll get crevice corrosion and it's too brittle. Yeah, it was 20 years ago. It's not now. Yeah. Um, anchors might even be made of plastic at some point. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's great. It could be. You know. be plastic then, yeah. Yeah, yeah it could be. I, I found out like a couple of weeks ago, our sofa is actually made of cardboard. Um, I didn't know that. I thought it was wood, but it's actually compressed cardboard. And uh, yeah, I was really impressed. I was like, it's, it's lasted for five years. It must be okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, okay. I mean, where you are now, you're in Venice, like, COVID has happened and then the lockdowns have, have taken place. What was your original plan once you got into the Med? Um, was it go all the way to the other side, come back, then shoot out? Or did you always plan on like spending a certain amount of time here? 
it's sort of changed over time, isn't it? I think when we came down, we thought we'd spend two or three years. And then when we were here, we thought, well, there's more to see, maybe five or six years. And now, mm. you know, Brexit has happened and we're thinking, we'll probably leave as soon as we can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's changed a lot of things. So. Western, the Western Med's going to be, unless something happens next year. I mean, we're in quite a good position because being in this part of the Eastern Med, we've got Croatia, Montenegro on the way down, then we can get through mm. Greece in 30 days, and then we can get to, to Turkey and, you know, we've already set that days, up. Yeah. Uh, not, yeah, 90 days, and then we get to Turkey and, we, and you just get the usual residency thing there to stay there for the winter, which is quite easy. Mm. Um, but then coming back out, unless something happens, I mean, even Gibraltar now is Schengen, so yeah. you've, you've got no options in the, in the Western Med. Um, you've got your three months, and if you want to get out and get down to the Canaries and then you know, go, go across the, the pond, you've got to do that within three months unless you sort some way out or you go into Morocco or, or you know, somewhere like that for, for mm. three months. But it's not just going there for a few days. You've got to go there if you've run out and stay there for three months. Yeah, uh, stay there for a long time. But those sorts of things might open up, you know, Tangiers, all those sorts of places might become, you know, they might think, okay, great, you know, let's really develop this and, and develop our marinas and, and have a, you know, a lot of uh, boats go in there. That might happen, mm. who knows? Um, or we might get some easy way of staying in somewhere like Spain, which would be good for six months rather than three, you know, get some sort of bilateral ag agreement because, uh, you know, we're worse off than the rest of the world at the moment. The Aussies, for instance, have got bilateral agreements with people like uh, Italy, so they can stay there for six months. You know, we've got mm. nothing. We've got no, no agreements at all. It's got to happen. I mean, not, <laughs> not, not just from like a sailing perspective, because there's, okay, there's not that many British people traveling around the world on sailboats. There's uh, a couple of thousand, a few thousand, maybe. But just from a general people movement perspective, um, they, it, even kids, like a kid doing a gap year in university, you know, they just want to travel around Europe, for example. They can't now. And that will actually have a burden on them because, you know, if you want to go from like Amsterdam to Rome to Athens to Cadiz in a, in a gap year, you can actually learn a lot. As yeah. a teenager, as an early 20-year-old, you can learn about independence, you can learn you know, about history, other cultures, and it's, it's taking something away from them. Definitely. And the other way around as well, of course. I mean, a lot of the people in Europe used to go to England for... Um, for work. Um, well, for work and for and the for Erasmus, study. for the yeah. Erasmus exchange. We're, mm. not, we're mm. not part of that exchange um, system anymore. So I think it's going to affect education and young people yeah. a, lot, a, lot, a lot more than, than people anticipated. Mm. Mm. Can I yeah. ask a question? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> are, are you ever going to do this, do you think? You talked about your family. Are you going to, to sail around the world or, or sail yeah, yeah. all the time? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we've got a plan. So, um, uh, okay, so me and my wife, we lived in Dubai for 10 years. Um, I was, I've always been, I've been a consultant in the oil and gas industry um, for, I think, about, well, 15 years now, something like that. Um, so we, we left Dubai... 10 years ago, I'll tell you the backstory rather than just saying what I intend to do like in a, in a short one. Uh, we left Dubai 10 years ago. Um, my wife's from Syria. Um, so she left, uh, I think about a year into the, into the war. Um, the family left the country, as many of them could leave this the country as they could. And then she came to Dubai, that's when I met her. Um, she, we were originally thinking about Turkey, uh, but literally as we were looking at houses in Turkey, the military decided to drive the tanks through uh, Istanbul and squash people. Um, so, we, so we were literally watching the news as we were considering property and we were like, all right, maybe that's not the right place to go now, so we'll give that one a miss. So we chose Spain. Um, one of the 
uh, I suppose one of the ideas in the back of my mind with Spain was that it, it is a great point to explore this part of the Mediterranean on a boat um, because I've I've been on boats since uh, I think since about 16 something like that um, but it was like a slow process of getting my wife used to it uh, she'd been on I think a motorboat sober once um, <laughs> and she threw up and bizarrely she doesn't throw up when she's drunk on a boat. so, <laughs> so um, yeah when we're in uh, Dubai it's a pretty common thing over there if you have like an office party you get like a small motorboat and you go and have drinks and stuff so she enjoyed that uh, she was terrified of the water until she got drunk and then she'd jump in whatever the depth was whatever time of night so it was also pretty funny um, but uh, yeah we we when we came over to Spain got a sailboat uh, she really likes it now and uh, you know COVID in a way has like really changed my um, perspective on life quite a bit from the point of view that we had we had an idea to sail around the world that would maybe kick off in about 10 or 15 years um, not not particularly related to like a financial goal but just let, let's just be comfortable for like 10-15 years and then go um, but with with COVID happening and and um, you know the idea that you've really got nothing um, if people decide that you've got nothing. Um, you've only got a life if you're actually allowed to leave your house. And if you're not, um, you really don't have anything in value and anything monetary that you have is irrelevant. Um, because if you had a business that you were told you wasn't allowed to open, uh, you've lost everything you've got. So it, it was during, I think for the first like three months of COVID when we were in the house and my business was just completely slowing down because I, I was in oil and gas so like just completely stopped and mm -hmm. um, we were getting a bit fed up and we were like okay maybe like a transient lifestyle is going to be more better suited because we really don't want to be stuck in this position again um lo like lockdowns in your case were a bit unique because you ended up again stuck somewhere where you pro probably didn't want to be stuck um but the the idea of you know if, if one country starts acting really strange and stupid just just go on to the next one um, and especially in Europe now, because um, it, it, every country just started doing their own thing. Like Spain did a home confinement for like a couple of months. Um, the UK didn't do much very soon at all, which was, which was no, really strange. No, and Germany was doing something completely yeah. different. Kids um, weren't allowed out for months, were they? Yeah, yeah. Really yeah, well, well, even now, like we've got a two, we've got a two year old and he still can't go to a play area because they've locked all the play areas. Uh, so for a year. And he loves play areas. You know, it's like even today we went out for some food and I took him out of the car. I, I lifted him up. He turned around, he saw a play area. He was like, whoop, 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 like this. <laughs> so I'm like, sorry, not yet. <laughs> you know, so we, we just decided, yeah, let's let's just go with the transient lifestyle. We'll just make it a bit sooner and bring it forward. Um, so, yeah, we are. And it's probably going to be in about four years, okay. I think. I know where you asked all those questions at the beginning then. You're actually planning your trip. Really just <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind <laughs> of. Like, okay, let's go and do this. You've got it, you've got it sorted. So what yeah. boat are you going to get to do this in then? Oh, I don't, I don't you'd be happy with my choice of boat. Have <laughs> <laughs> you watched the uh, Witch Cruising Boat video? Uh, no, I haven't actually watched that. Oh, no, sorry, I think I have. Yeah. Yeah, it was an older one. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, I've done it, I did it a while ago. I think it's yeah. during the first lockdown, you know, we did yes. lots of things. But he didn't yeah. talk much about cats. I talk about fat-ass boats in there a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because I know you're talking about keel types and that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah, I, okay, I, so I've, I've got a Moody, um, I've 
Okay, yeah, oh, good. Beamy, yeah. I think is a brilliant boat. I love yeah. it. It's uh, it's British. It's it's slightly old school. It's it's really heavy. It's great. Um, but when we are going to be at the point where we've got a family and we we've got more kids, like it's it's difficult to find a boat like yours that can have yeah. like three kids and a couple of pets on board. Um, and my wife really likes the idea of a swim platform, which yeah. um, kind of limits out any very good boat <laughs> really <laughs> um, or, or yeah, limits it to like a new one so. everything's a compromise it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek the uh, the video that i did there because you know you, you can do it you can do you're it you're totally anyway. right but yeah. uh yeah and you've mm. got to find something that suits your lifestyle and what you're doing and but but part of that and the thing that people forget mm. i think is that it's still got to be comfortable in the seaway and and that's that's the crucial bit so something like your mood is fine you know it's yeah. good. you need something similar of a similar ilk that's that's still got your swim platform and a large cockpit and all those things that you want you know with with kids and a, to have a nice time you know yeah well we we really like the so moody do like a deck saloon range now um yeah. they've got one called the 45 ds which is like it's kind of, i don't know if it's the best of both worlds or if it's the worst of both but it's it, it, it's like a blue water cruiser with a catamaran style deck, I suppose, where, you know, you walk into like a living room and then you go down, um, which is really nice, kind of like a pilot house, but yeah. a new, you know, a new, a new nicer yeah. version. Um, sort of French boats are doing that as well. I think it's a very good idea, you know, Boreal and those mm. sorts of stuff, they're doing the same thing. It's, it's almost an extension of the hard dodger that we've got, but that's really yeah. having somewhere sheltered that you can get just to even, you know, people think, oh, if you're in a hot climate, it doesn't matter. It mm. does, because you're exposed. You're exposed to the wind. It's wearing if you sat out in an open cockpit yeah. with just a little canvas dodger. You know, you need you need mm. something better. I think one of the best things about like that, like, like your boat, for example, you've, you've got a, a hard dodger on there and you are very, very well protected. Even if you had incredibly rough seas, you, you could, you know, huddle underneath there and you're not going to get a soak unless you've got waves like coming from everywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it's nice to be able to you know, like, relax in the comfort of your saloon area and you can still just look about what's going on. You can use your autopilot from the saloon area, really comfortable. Because um, I just, I get really tired when I sail. Um, if I sail for like six hours, I, I need a nap. Um, yeah, well, yeah being out in the sun and the wind. Yeah, yeah. It's being exposed. Yeah, it's being exposed. You've got to have the the, the we call it a doghouse because it's a bit more than a you know just, just that dodger. So it comes back, you know, past you, past the sides of you. So you don't yeah. get you know that wind coming in from the side. And that's really that's really important, just not to be buffeted around. Yeah, you, it's it's you, you don't get you know worn you know worn out at all. Sadly, mm. it's you know it's very easy. When we crossed the Bay of Biscay, actually, you know, we got you know because we were running. They had a big force 10 that came through really quickly and, and half the boats, because we did it with Arc Portugal, so there were 20 boats mm. uh, leaving. Uh, six boats got completely uh, left out to sea. They had to, they weren't fast enough to, to, to beat the, this storm coming through, so went out to sea um, and had a really rough time for mm. a couple of days, you know, before they kind of got really beaten up. Um, we managed to get into Akaruna. We were going for Bionia. We, we got into Akaruna uh, before it, it hit properly. Um, along with a couple of other boats but i mean yeah. they got off and you know they said oh my god you know we've had three days of not being able to sleep not being able to eat staying in the same clothes and we said really we've had a shower every day and three meals and <laughs> fine you know it's our boat, it's uh, not you know you, it's fine it's really not you know it's not an issue good just given your sailing experience because like you've sailed a lot before and you, you've been in races and, and that type of stuff what what made you want to go for like a 26 ton tank style wood ship 
um, because like it's a hell of a boat. Judy's <laughs> pointing at herself. You know, yes, yeah. I mean it's not just that. You know, I I I like comfort as well. If you're going to live on it, you know, you don't want to be. It's in some ways it's not the exciting sailing that you'll get. Well, it isn't. You know, it's not like. I mean, even the steering on this. You know, we've got hydraulic steering, which mm. I love. I think it's brilliant. But if I was weekend sailing, it would drive me mad because you don't get the feel. Yeah. You know, and you think yeah. oh, sailing. It's not. But. I mean, we, we can count the times we, we've basically hand steered on, on one hand, you know, in the last three years on this voyage, because you don't, you, you stick the auto helm on and, and you're doing stuff, you know, you, you might be tweaking yeah. and doing whatever. You just sail it in a different way. So it's not, you don't get the feel, you're not doing it in that, in that sort of way, but you know, it's, it's still, it's still good fun, but just in a different style, mm. a good fun. So, you know, you don't have to have these sort of racy, racy boats twin killed all the rest of it to to you know to think oh, okay well that's that's brilliant it might be on a certain day for a couple of hours and then you get bored with it and think oh god you know i'd, I'd rather actually it's exhausting comfortable now you know yeah i'd, yeah. I'd rather go out and go down make a cup of tea and think this boat's going to sail itself which our boat can do you yeah. know, even without the auto helm on i can set the sails up to to, to do that because it's long keeled it'll just go in a straight line you know mm. it's not a problem so you know it's great in fact, the only time we've had to really sail is when we've been in trouble, like when we were coming yeah. into Croatia. Mm. I think we did sail then for for a couple of hours, and it was it was quite hairy. So mm. you, you can you can do it, but I think Steve's mm. right. You just wouldn't stay up there all the time. No, it's just not, it's it's, not how you do it. But it's not that. It would be a lot more hairy in in a lighter boat. You know, you, you just don't get thrown around so much. And a centre copy boat, I think, is great as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's less movement, you know, in doing that. And you, a lot of it's the feel as well. You feel safer in a centre cockpit boat. Yeah. You know, some of these modern boats now, these, you know, fat-ass boats that are wide and open, open transom. Jesus, you know, and they're, and they're twin twin wheels are about two, two foot from the, the, the transom of the boat. You think, I would not want to be on that thing, you know, surfing 20 knots down, a, you know, down a, a, a big sea. You think, no, yeah. you'd feel so exposed, so exposed, you know. Yeah, we were looking at, um, I think it was a Geno in a, in, in, in a marina last week. And it, I think it was like 30 foot or 32 foot. It, it was twin helm. And I was like, how, why on earth do you need two uh, two wheels when the boat's only that large anyway? You can literally just do that and see from side to side. <laughs> yeah. And the, the back was, it, it, the the uh, cockpit floor just went straight out. Straight out, yeah. Mm. And, you know, you've got lifelines which are like this thick. I was like, that, that looks like a death trap. Like, no way. We've not been for that. Yeah, no. No, and, and some of the, I mean, there's, there's a, there was a 60-footer that, that came in here with a, a, a crew. It's actually a woman that was, that was the, the crew, wasn't she? And, the captain, uh, yeah. Yeah, she, she was, uh, yeah, she was hired, hired captain. And, uh, and he had, it was a British guy that, that owned it. He had, he had gone back. So she said, oh, you know, come, come have a look around the boat. And... And she had to admit, she said, well, it's a lovely boat because it's, you know, it's fast and the rest of it. But Jesus, you know, even in the meds, you know, this is a two million, three million pound boat, probably even. I don't know. Um, but it's got some issues with it. Where you think I, I would not want to take this out in anything mm. other than, you know, a full seven in the med. You, you, you say, OK, let's go out in, in something proper, you know, in an open ocean. And, and you know, you just wouldn't want to do it. And, and that had the same thing. It had an enormous cockpit. Uh, and just to, you know, a little guard rail along the back, a lifeline along the back. And she yeah. said, well, one of the time the, the, uh, the, one of the, the crew was, was seasick and came running out because they were going to be sick. And she said she had to dive across to grab and she was just worried that they were going to go straight over the back of the boat. She's <laughs> just going to carry on and just shoot straight over yeah. the back of it. Stop and slide. And there's nowhere, like a lot of modern boats, nowhere to hold on to. You know, you walk down, yeah. you walk down the companionway steps. I mean, this happened to me at uh, the Paris boat show 
one time I walked down the steps and I and the, there was a guy sitting at the saloon table and and uh, he must have sort of seen the look on my face that I was sort of inwardly laughing uh, <laughs> maybe even outwardly um and he sort of said can I help you I didn't know he was the salesman you know I just thought he was someone there um and I said no I was just sort of thinking if you had this boat out in an open ocean what on earth would you hold on to there's nothing here you know it's, it's like four foot six foot between the end of the companionway steps and the, and the saloon table and he said oh yeah we were thinking we maybe put a couple of uh handholds in there. <laughs> put a couple of metal bars on the roof or something <laughs> I'll yeah i'll be doing that yeah and then you look around it and you say well because you know i had a look around this it looks massive it's a smaller boat than ours but look twice the size inside because it's got no cupboards it's all open yeah. it's look open plan and as big and as lovely as possible um but you think well where do you put things you know there were there were three drawers in the whole of the boat three drawers that was all they had three drawers you know a couple of small cupboards and i thought well maybe there's something you know in the bilge and i thought no it's, it's you know it's one of these flat bottom no bilge type boats but i think well you know maybe there's something because all the water tanks were under the the seats something to watch out for you know you think oh mm. well, we have, you know space under there but no you know they have to put the tankage there if it's not got a proper keel um so you know i said well have a look under the you know one of the under the sole some of the sections of the sole you know would come up but i couldn't see a catch i couldn't see a way of, of lifting it up he mm. said ah and he opened one of the three jaws that were on this boat and he pulled out a plunger and, went, and he pulled it up with his plunger with this really sort of look on his face saying oh isn't that great look you get you get two of no. these no and you can lift the floor up with that i said really so in a knockdown <laughs> everything just falls out does it and he said, oh, it's a big boat, so it wouldn't get knocked down. <laughs> uh, really? Okay. You know, so that's the mentality that even a salesman has. It has, the, you know, can say that to a, to a sailor in a boat show. <laughs> it's not going to get crazy. knocked down, so. Okay. <laughs> it won't if you live on it in a marina, which is probably what it'll end up doing. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just, they're not making them for crossing oceans anymore. They're, they're making them to sit in marinas or anchorages just around from the charter office or uh, something like that, but... Um, there's there's a couple but i mean i i don't like you 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 understand more about this than me because you've probably got a lot more experience with like old, older stronger boats but like a new halberg rassi for example is that as good as a halberg rassi from the 1980s like is it as strong is it as oh, thick and is it good yeah. I, apart I from the twin rudders yeah i wouldn't go with the twin rudders and they have they've they've made that option yeah. they, i don't know why they've done it i mean a lot of the ones that got twin rudders they have to because they they've made the 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 aft section so flat that it just, you just couldn't steer it without twin rudders, mm. so that, you know, they had no option to do it. But it's not a good thing. It's not something that you should think, oh, well, that makes it better. People think, oh, well, you've got twin rudders. If one went wrong, you've got the other. No, it won't. Because <laughs> if you bang a rudder, mm. it will jam, and the whole thing will jam. I've, I've actually personally had to, to come to the rescue of two boats that have done exactly that. One of them in Chichester Harbour was just coming through the lock, tiny tap as it came through, locked it, you know, as it came down the middle of the fairway in Chichester with no steering. So I managed to throw a rope and get him onto the handle. Cool. But, but, you know, it just happens all the time. Those sorts of things. It's so easy to do. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, we would if we if we'd had a boat like that, I think we would have broken it twice in the time we we went we, we went backwards onto a uh, where was it in the Solent? There's that there's um, it was on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, it's on the Isle of Wight side. It's in it's Weymouth, is it? There's, there's a there's a bank anyway. It's all quite quite a way out. It's quite well known. I know it's there. But I came around to pick up a boy and stupidly, completely my own fault. You know, you're sitting there and there's a there's a. It's supposed to be you know, a couple of knot ties, but you know they're like there's a bit of an eddy, and it was we were going backwards. So I was just sitting there stooging, stooging around, trying to on the VHF get a hold of the, uh, the marina. To, it was in Yarmouth, that's where it's just off Yarmouth, uh, just trying to say, oh, you know, can it, what boy can we pick up? And I didn't notice we were just sliding backwards slowly, and then suddenly, oh, back of the boat, 
is 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 hit just him. It's just no It's no problem for us. I'd give it a bit of throw off. We go forward, but twin rudders. They would have gone. Mm. That would have been that. No steerage. So yeah. easy done. You know, easy done if you've got a fragile boat like that. And people say, oh well, they're really strong. You can you can land. You know, you can you can get uh, you know uh, you know a boat to to actually. Um, go out on dry land, you can dry it out and it has got that, but it's made for that it's made to, to sit squarely downwards it's not made for any side force, it's got no skin mm. it's got nothing, you know, so so yeah, I mean, it's, it's still exposed I've got a friend that does a lot of, um, he does a lot of deliveries for Bavaria and he, well, he's always done deliveries for Bavaria, so he'll take them from I think, where does he I think he takes them from Algeciras in Spain or somewhere, he, t- he takes them from Spain, then he, he, he takes them across the Med. And um, he's, because uh, I think I think all Bavarians now are twin rudder, or the larger ones are twin rudder anyway. And I was asking him, like, what is the difference in between, like, a new Bavaria 46 and, like, a Bavaria 46 from, like, 20 years ago when they were very solid and the carpentry was solid wood? And he said, the worst thing is the twin rudder. And I was like, well, why, why, why is that? He was like, if you're close hauled and the seat eight's, Sea state is pretty rough and you're healed over. You've basically got no steerage because yeah. half of one rudder might be out of the water. Um, and your boat is basically relying on half a tiny rudder on one side of the boat yeah. doing that. Um, and you've just got hardly any steerage. Yeah, it's not actually the rudder that's that's the problem because you have got one, you know, you should have one rudder that's that's in the water enough, but it's it's the fact that it's steering on the shape of the hull. That to, to get that big cockpit, they've made the, the hull flat and wide. Um, and that means the rocker of the boat is all completely upset. It's got much more mm. buoyancy at the back than the front, and, and it just doesn't behave properly in, in waves and, and it won't stay in a straight line. They'll they'll just be skittish, they'll be all over the state. And that's really dangerous because you get in the stage a state then where you can just broach you can mm. broach on something that you think you you'd never broach a boat on you know fairly yeah. smallish waves of the wrong period you know you can be hit by something like that at the wrong wrong angle it'll broach you you'll have no mm. steering um, but it's not it's not because there's not enough rudder there it's just because of the shape of the hull yeah so um, it's the overall design that's like the shape of the hull to to get you know twin uh, berths in the in the in the aft sections you know they, they want mm. these double twin cabins that's what they've done it for um yeah. so they've done it to, to look good at the boat show not to actually sail which boat manufacturers do you think are actually still making like strong, seaworthy, sensible boats? Well, Harbour Brassy are definitely one of them. Yeah, I um, think they're still there. Between Rudders, you know, as I say, I mean, they are great boats. They're, you know, they're um, island packets, still good. Um, if you want a smaller boat, Rustlers are mm. great. They, you know, brilliantly. But you know, they're, you know, they're still making them. That's, they do twin rudder versions as well. But I think you can still get them uh, single rudders. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there are still, you know, there's still a lot of. Good, good mates out there. Um, yeah, Worcester are still good. Um, yeah, there's you, you can find good boats. Yeah, so it's, it's the, the price is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've like we've been looking at a few recently. I'm like, oh, these oysters are so nice, and I'm like, I don't have a million pounds. Like, that's not yeah. going to work. <laughs> they are expensive things. No, well, that's the thing, and you know, and that's you know the decision we made buying this boat. I mean, you couldn't buy you know a new small southerly for the price of this boat. You know, it's mm. it's a completely different thing. And uh, but there's always been my mentality. You know, I, if I've got the money, if I've got you know money to go out and buy a nice car. I'm not going to go out and buy you know maybe a you know a brand new BMW when I could buy a secondhand TVR. You know, it's, yeah. it, you think well, why do it? You know, it's it's going to lose massive amounts of value the you know the minute you take it out of the showroom in the case of the car um in the case of a boat not only 
you know, are you buying something that its value is going to fall straight away if you buy it new? It doesn't come equipped with stuff. I mean, we talked to, to uh, a guy, an Aussie, lovely Aussie family uh, in Cartagena, who, you know, inspired by YouTube, had uh, decided they wanted the sailing life. They, they weren't sailors. They took some courses. Um, they, they bought a, a catamaran. But when they did it, they didn't realize that it doesn't come with anything, not even an anchor. So you've got to do all that. You know, you've got to work it out how to do and, and the cost of that i mean they you know they had the money that wasn't the issue it was that they didn't really have the knowledge of of mm. what to get um you know but then you know they're they're here we still see them and they're doing very well you know they, if you've got the right attitude you can you can do it i think that's the key thing mm. whether you've got sailing experience or whether you haven't got sailing experience like you said at the beginning if your approach is i'm going to do this i'm going to make this work then you can yeah yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, so just, just like with regards to your boat, was your boat cruise ready when you bought it or did you have to do a lot to it? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, no boat's cruise ready. I don't think if it's been used, if it hasn't been used as a livable type boat. So it's, hmm. it's, a, it's a really, really well set up boat, this one, for high latitude sailing. So, hmm. for instance, one of the things that were on this, it had stainless steel anchor chain on this, which was unheard of 20 years ago. And I looked at that and thought, what on earth? You know, so who puts a stainless steel anchor chain on a boat? Because it's so phenomenally expensive. Hmm. Um, and actually, 20 years ago, there wasn't the technology that was good enough to have stainless steel chain that, that would work around the world. Um, it, this had two, a 316 Ti on it, which is fine in the northern latitudes. And the, and the guy that owned it, it was, it was what, 17 years old when we bought her. Uh, and it had been used to go to, to northern Scotland and, and Iceland, mm. you know, Norway and places like that. It's fine in cold water, but you bring in warm water and, and 316 Ti is no, is no good. 316L, you're struggling with. Um, so, I mean, I was on the verge of changing that for galvanized chain. I really looked into it and, and 318 is what you need, which is duplex chain, which is what we have now. And it's absolutely superb. Mm. So, you know, when you look into the technology, you, you know, there are things that are available. So there are things like that that were set up well, but weren't with the, the, the right standard that's available now um, was one thing. And then, of course, you know, there's the other thing, which is... You know, we are going to live on this boat, not just sail it. I mean, he sailed it for months at a time, not just weekends. Um, but there are extra things you want, for, like the solar panels. You know, you need to sort mm. the power requirements out properly. Um, we had an onboard Jenny, but that's been trouble since. You know, that's mm. the only thing with this boat that's been trouble. Um, but it has been trouble right from the get go. I've rebuilt it twice. That, that engine is, you know, I've had enough of it. <laughs> it's got to go. <laughs> get rid of it. <laughs> but, but yes, I mean, you've got to get things that are just, you know, that, that are right for, for long-term cruising. Do you think of anything else? What, what are the sort of the main things? Well, for... the turbo wasn't working, was it? Oh, well, I think, yeah, we had odds. There's always odds, you know, with a 20-year boat bits that weren't working, you know, that aren't exactly right. But other than that, it was a massive cleanup. Um, it had been left for a couple of years mm. um, because... Okay. The, previous owner had died unfortunately so um there wasn't a handover or anything like that no. and it was just waiting to be sold so so yes it had been left for a while but it was relatively cosmetic wasn't it yeah yeah it's just yeah. it's just hard work it's just all the teak you know all blown varnish and all the rest of it so it's just getting all that sort of back but with a boat like this with bare bones is is brilliant because i mean that's mm. the difference between having a boat that's as you, you said earlier solid you know when you have boats that were solid wood if you're going to live on a boat, it's got to be solid wood inside because you just knock the veneer off stuff and it'll yeah. look terrible so quickly. Um, you know, they look lovely if you buy them new, but you know, that's another reason maybe to buy a second-hand boat is that it, if it still looks good when it's been, you know, bashed around for a couple of years, then it's going to keep looking good. You can mm. buy a new boat and it looks fantastic, 
and six months down the line, it might look absolutely terrible if it hasn't yeah. been you know, built well and designed well. You knock the corners off things and it will start looking ragged. Um, but, you know, the, the amount of problems people get with new boats is astonishing. Um, you know, yeah. even just look going through the, the I was watching a uh, thing with Distant Shores the other day, coming back through the Panama Canal. And he's, you know, it's a three year old boat. He, you know, he's, you know, he knows what he's doing as well. A bow thruster's not working. Well, you know, they're not spec'd right, you know, not very good electric bow thrusters. This boat's got a hydraulic bow thruster. And, you know, after having that, if you're going to have a bow thruster, have a hydraulic one because, you know, <laughs> they're just so much better. Anything that's that's high powered and, and working mm. off DC is not a good idea. Windless is the same thing. We've got hydraulic windless. Um, so much better than having, you know, high amperage units that, that are... Uh, um, you know, on, on board your boat because they will go wrong, you know, very quickly. Same, same with, you know, electric winches. We don't have them. I don't want them. Um, you know, if you, if you need some help with a winch, then get, you can have, you know, a plug-in device that, you know, into a standard winch that will do it for you. If you, yeah. if you know about they're quite expensive. Um, and we haven't, but, you know, when we get old and frail, that, that's, that's the line <laughs> I'll be going down. I won't be putting, you know, electric or hydraulic winches on either. Yeah. Oh, it's, it makes much more sense. Like, just from it, general point of view as well I'm, I'm from Wigan so we're I'm from the uh, like a coal mine town and um, a lot of the original machinery that they still used in like the mills and the cotton mills in Wigan is still there and they 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 well not now but I know up until recently when it was a museum they still turned it on and it works and some of this mechanical equipment is like 200 years old like I very much doubt anything that they made when electricity was first invented is still working at the click of a switch you know <laughs> so yeah if it's if it's big and it's made of steel and it's heavy it's, it's probably going to last a hell of a lot longer than something that just works off like basic electricity if you want to support the production of these podcasts you can become a member of our community on patreon where you will be able to access extra content interact with our guests and become a part of the show